verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Warriors, you're listening to episode 193 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded Thursday, October 2nd, 2014, and available for download or streaming on Monday, October 6th, 2014, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Cookie. I'm Elijah. And I'm Jace. Happy birthday to me. Ah, happy birthday, Jace. Why, thank you. It's so thoughtful of you to have remembered. <laughs> What do we have in store this week, Elijah? This week, we trek out updates from Star Trek Axanar with tons of news on its development with creator Alec Peters. And with only a few weeks away from the release of Delta Rising, the blogs keep coming. In Star Trek Online News, lead designer Al Captain Gecko Rivera takes us on a journey of writing stories for the game in the Delta Quadrant. The Doctor and Seven of Nine return after decades away from Voyager. Tribble keeps getting updated with some interesting content... A new video trailer has been released, voiced by lead artist Brad Stoken, and new goodies have been added to the Delta Rising Operations Pack. In our Community Spotlight segment, we give Tony a voice once again by reviewing his infamous Overture Foundry mission. Later, we'll open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming from you, our listeners. And don't forget that Priority One Podcast is more than just a podcast. Feel comfortable when you walk into a game store. With Candace Zanzinger's latest Observer's blog, Survival Guide to Game Stores. Get familiar with the nomenclature and start planning game nights. Check out this blog and much more only on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, before we get on with the show, we want to remind you that Priority One will be visiting Cryptic Studios this week. Elijah, Jason, and I will be spending a few days at Cryptic Studios and Perfect World Entertainment to cover the release of Delta Rising. Don't forget to follow us on our social media website like facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast and on Twitter at STO Priority One. Captains, that means that it's unlikely that we will have an episode on October the 13th because that week we will be spending a majority of that time at Perfect World Entertainment and Cryptic Studios. So we may not have the opportunity to structure a show. Uh, Plus, there's probably going to be a lot of content that we're not going to be able to release until after Delta Rising hits holodeck. Also, Captains, we're looking for a creative writer, someone who's a fan of Priority One Podcast, is familiar with our weekly personas, and is interested in helping us write short skits for us to voice. If you're a Foundry author, this is a great opportunity to showcase your writing skills. If you're interested... Email us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or click on Red Shirt Uncle Sam on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, let's check out the latest from Star Trek Axonar with creator Alec Peters. I don't know. Then let's check it out.
And captains, again this week we're joined by the creator of Star Trek Axanar, Alec Peters. Alec, thanks for stopping by again here on Priority One Podcast. Always happy to be here. So you have had a very busy several months visiting various conventions all throughout North America. Why don't you talk to us about that experience? The last we saw you was in August at uh, Star Trek Las Vegas. Uh, where, what, what have you been up to since then? Well, we've done a bunch of conventions since then. Right after uh, Las Vegas, which was great, you know, we had our screening there, which went very well. The next week we were at Houston Con in Houston, Texas which was a small convention, but really good. Uh, the entire cast was there. So Richard Hatch, Gary Graham, J.G. Hertzler, Kate Vernon, Tony Todd, myself, Christian Gossett even was there. So that was really good. And, uh, and then since then we did Dragon Con. We had a screening to a packed room at Dragon Con, which was really nice. We probably had 400 people in the room, and that was a really energetic panel uh, and screening. So we were really happy about that. Then Salt Lake Comic Con which is now in its second year the third biggest convention in the country. It's just enormous. They've done such an amazing job with that convention. So we were there, part of their film festival, uh, had a booth there and all. So that's kind of the convention, what the convention circuit is. Um, our next event will be Kamikaze in uh, Los Angeles. That's Halloween weekend. Uh, so that'll be our next. So the con season slowly, you know, is, is slowing down a bit, which we're kind of grateful for because it's rather taxing traveling all over the country. So, yeah, so that's, uh, that's kind of uh, the con season. What is the fan reception at the conventions, especially after you play the film? What, what kind of questions are you getting? What, what, what's caught you off guard, if anything, from fans? I guess just the outpouring of affection for Axanar. It's really, um, it's really amazing. It, it, it's, people are saying that this is the Star Trek they want. We're hardcore fans, and this is what Star Trek is. And we're really excited about that. So that's really nice and refreshing. It, it's really, there's a lot of excitement out there because uh, it's you know it's something new and interesting and uh, professionally done. Everyone's amazed at the quality that it's not fan, a fan film, but it's you know it looks just like a, a Hollywood production. So those are kind of like the two biggest things we, we we hear all the time. And it is just we're still getting donations through PayPal all the time, and uh, the word is spreading, and uh, uh, we're you know trying to keep up with everything. Well, let's talk a little bit about the the actors involved right now. So, are they are they prepared? Did they even did they foresee the amount of support that that Axanar was going to get? You know, because one question that you'll see a lot of Star Trek veterans receive is, "Were you ready to for the 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 amount of fandom that this was going to to bring?" I mean, are, are they prepared? Because Axanar, there's no signs of it stopping. Yeah. Um... I, I, that's interesting. Uh, I, I think they're all. Um, I think that all the actors. I mean, when we were at Houston Con, which was a very small convention, but nonetheless, the outpouring of love for Axanar was so impressive that it really solidified the cast. I mean, we got developed a lot of, of rapport among the cast and everything, um, just because everyone they were so impressed by how much people loved Axanar at Dragon Con. Kate was like. She was telling me that she was signing, a, you know, like twenty like percent of all her autographs. She signed on her photo from Axanar, and and that's really fascinating. So it is kind of becoming a phenomenon, I think, uh, which we're really excited about. And um, yeah, we're really. Th- I, I think the the actors uh, are, love that. So let me ask you about uh, its current state of production. Where are we in terms of the feature film? So um, we entered pre-production a couple weeks ago. Um, and uh, we've got basically five months of pre-production. 
leading up to um, we're shooting in March right now. That's that's what the plan is that we will shoot in March, um, and we're anticipating about a four-week shoot. And uh, we just met with a line producer who worked on Star Trek for 11 years. I've actually got a meeting with uh, Johnny Cavelli, the production designer from Babylon 5, who we hope to bring on board. You know, it's, it's fun because you, if someone watches Prelude, it's really easy to get them to come on board because of the quality. You know, Prelude was really done as a, uh, as a, a test bed, as a proof of concept. And let's see who, who, who excelled and who didn't excel. And let's uh, build, build a team that's better than the Prelude team. So that's kind of where we are right now. Chris and I work on the script. We're anticipating script lock at the end of this month. And, and then we'll go into storyboarding and, and doing animatics. And, you know, there's a, we're really serious about our pre-production. It's, uh, it, it is just like on a, a professional film, what, what we're doing. Now, you know, I, I did ask this about the actors, but what about, what about you, Alec? Were, are you, were you ready for the amount of support that you were going to get for, for Star Trek Axanar and the phenomenon that it has become? Oh, no, I think I, I don't think any, any of us really, myself included, really thought it would take off the way it has. We got so much notoriety because of the final day of our Kickstarter when George Takei posted about us on Facebook and we went from $420,000 with 24 hours to go to finish at $638,000. So it was wildly successful. So that caught us by surprise. And so, yeah, so um, it's a pleasant surprise. And it, we love it because it's uh, people are giving us, uh, you know, giving us the support and uh, that we need to keep our enthusiasm going. And we're doing things for them. And we just opened our donor store, which allows our donors to um, buy uh, posters and patches and, and things like that from us, which helps support our, our production. And uh, we're really, it's really become a full-time production. So uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot to do you know, on the production and on the uh, Kickstarter side of things. Now, and between now and March, when uh, filming begins, what can fans of Axonar expect to see from Facebook, from the social media websites, how can uh, what, what, what snippets of information will you be releasing between now and then? Well, uh, for everyone who is a donor um, we, we tend to release the information first to don donors, either on our Facebook donor group or on our uh, Kickstarter updates um, you know, we just think the donors should get the, all the information first uh, but it is all then released on the Star Trek Axonar Kickstarter, um, I'm sorry, a Facebook page, uh, Star Trek Axonar on Facebook, and um, on the Axonar fan group. So we have a page on Facebook where we make announcements and we post stuff, and then there's an Axonar fan group where people can talk about Axonar. Um, they can post their own things, and it's, that's a, kind of our community rather than a message board. We have the Axonar fan group. So those are kind of um, uh, the, the, the best ways to, to stay in touch with what we're doing. Plus our website, uh, StarTrekAxonar.com, we get a lot of, of views on that, and uh, we always publish our information there as well. We just released our first behind-the-scenes production video, uh, which you can find on our YouTube page or you can find on our website or find on our Facebook page. So, yeah, we'll be coming out with more and more uh, videos uh, so people can uh, really find out what we're all about. But, Alec, is there anything that you would like to uh, convey to the audience and, and fans of Axonar uh, that we haven't already covered? There is, now a there is now a Fleets of Axonar Facebook group, which is all players in Star Trek Online. Oh, nice. Um, Very cool. And, and, yeah, which is awesome. And... Um, uh, it is amazing the uh, yeah just the the fandom and the way they're picking Axonar up and running with it as part of the Star Trek universe. 
So now I, you have to get in game. Now you have to get in game. You got to play with everybody. Wow, I guess so. But I, it's been so long since I played. <laughs> I mean, I literally played the first month the game was out. I bought a lifetime membership, played the first month, and then uh, as I and Battlefield uh, Three came out at the time, and I've been playing Battlefield since two thousand six. So I wound up jumping back into that that game. Um, but yeah, I'll have to. I think I'll have to get back in there. Um, I think I'd finally gotten a Centaur class ship, which are my favorite ships. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I guess I will. I just you know Thomas Maroney, who works for for uh, Star Trek Online, is, is designs all our patches. So we've got a, a lot of people who play the game. Well, Alec, again, thank you so very much for stopping by and, and offering our listeners an update on Star Trek Axanar, the very highly anticipated film project uh, from you and your team. Uh, we wish you the best, and we can't wait for, for filming to start in March and then, of course, for the final production. But we'll have you on again uh, between now and then to offer us a few more updates. Sounds great. All right, Captains, let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online News. Computer status report. Status Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. And our first blog for the week leading up to Delta Rising is Stories of the Delta Quadrant, written by lead designer Al Captain Gecko Rivera himself. And in the blog, it's really a behind-the-scenes guide to the process behind writing a whole new story arc in a whole new quadrant for Star Trek Online. So if you're a Foundry author, if you're a writer, somebody that likes to get into the mind of the author and the creative process, we encourage you to check out the blog on the official Star Trek Online website. A few things that caught my attention uh, were uh, this excerpt that Al Rivera writes, and he wrote, like all the stories in Star Trek Online, we start with the Star Trek IP. The leads, with our writer, Christine Thompson, begin working on an update by creating a very broad outline. This plan includes where we have been and a review of what we have told the players so far. Next, we look at where we want the story to eventually go. You know, one of the interesting things that I always find about the story when we have our Vera on and he talks to us about having the voiceover artists and the actors is how fluid the story can be so that they can adjust accordingly to having these actors in the game. So it takes some quick thinking, and I'm sure it's a bit of a high-pressured environment with deadlines and whatnot, to have to write in a last-minute voice like maybe a Seven of Nine or a Bob Picardo because they only find out that they locked in that, that gig a week ago. So that's fun and entertaining to read. The other thing that actually wasn't a part of this blog that I wanted to talk about was an interview that he did with MMORPG.com. And in it, he says... Most importantly, we will be adding content to Delta Quadrant over the next 18 months, both features and stories. Players can probably expect a lot of story content over the next year on a very regular basis. There won't just be season updates, but more regular and frequent updates. It will continue the story. Two big teasers at the end of Delta Rising will usher in the fifth anniversary and beyond. And we have a tight, cohesive story planned for the next year and a half. That's pretty big, right? Because I remember back in the day when D. Stahl was at the helm, his goal was to have a featured episode once a month, if not once a week. And then that didn't happen, and players were really disappointed because the featured episodes really gave us that weekly substitute for a live-action Star Trek TV series. So to know that and to see that they have plans for regular content, uh, story content, story-driven content is refreshing. I think that uh, 
that it's it's time to see that type of content be more frequently done for Star Trek Online. And that gives players another incentive to stick with the game and not take really long breaks from it because they'll miss so much if they do that. Sometimes players take a little bit of a break and they come back when the new season or a new event comes out. But this way they can keep playing, still be stimulated, and they don't have a reason to leave. Something that I thought in reaction to the blog about Stories of the Delta Quadrant is that I am really tantalized to hear more of how this came to be once it is live, right? Because mm-hmm. he didn't talk about any specifics yet because that's all still spoiler alert and some of it's on Tribble, some of it's not. We're not going to see it all for a little while yet. And even then, you know, they probably won't go hog wild with spoilers for the first couple of weeks to let people play through the content at a gradual pace. But I would love to hear something like this with, okay, well, we started from this point and then we got inspiration from this episode and we thought, well, we could do this. You know, like really see almost a storyboard process, right? Yes, because, you know, this blog is very general mm-hmm. right it's very just kind of broad stroke of what the back end is for drafting a story in star trek online but yeah i would love to be able to sit down with christine and and go from outline paper outline to storyboard to constructing the mission in the game and it's final you know sitting down with the the voice actor and giving the direction to the voice actor just all, all that all that kind of stuff i think is is um interesting uh and appreciating the story development of, of Star Trek Online. I mean, look at DVDs. You know, one of a big selling point of, a, of DVD features are the extra features, you know, how, how it's made, the behind the scenes kind of stuff. So that's something to do maybe while we're there. Mm, intriguing. Speaking of story and content, we have a few familiar faces coming to Star Trek Online, don't we, Cookie? Yes. Seven of Nine. Uh, Seven of Nine's story was an interesting one. She was assimilated by the Borg when she was a child. So most of her life she spent with the Collective. When she was rescued by Voyager, her transition was rocky and confusing for her. She didn't have a home to go back to like the rest of the crew, but she slowly adapted and helped the crew find their way back to the Alpha Quadrant. Later, she led a task force to help the Federation to prepare for the next Borg attack. After 10 years with no Borg in sight, Starfleet disbanded the task force. As a result, Seven left Starfleet and joined the Daystrom Institute. Once the Iconian gateways were discovered, Tuvok gathered as many experts as he could, including Seven of Nine. She is now stationed on the USS Callisto as a science advisor. So, to me, Seven of Nine's story made me very hopeful. I always loved the idea of reversing the effect of Borg assimilation. For example, we saw it with Captain Picard and then with Hugh. But that idea wasn't utilized very often. Usually Borg were just killed and that's it. So when I saw this being revisited with Seven of Nine on Voyager, I was very hopeful. And I loved watching her transformation and the changes her character went through. The team working on creating Seven said that it was very challenging. They did lots of research and gradually created her together as a team, continuously making adjustments as needed. They said... She is such a wonderful, iconic character, and we really enjoyed making her. They also mentioned when speaking of Jerry Ryan that she did such an amazing job with the dialogue and that they know players will have a great experience seeing her back in the Star Trek fold. 
Also this week we saw some pretty big updates to Tribble, many of which I won't go into detail about. These mostly relate to Delta Rising content, which some of it's spoiler, all of it's subject to change and revision anyway, and there's also some fixes to costumes and more addition to the Foundry, which is always welcome. However, some pretty big news concerning bridge officer slots, ships and consoles, and a little something neat and new in the UI. So for bridge officer slots, silver members will now get five slots instead of four at commander or the equivalent Romulan or Klingon rank, seven instead of six at vice admiral, and will reach eight slots in Delta Rising at fleet admiral. Gold members will now get 12 instead of 10 at vice admiral and reach 14 now at fleet admiral. The total max that you can purchase in the C store remains unchanged. It's just we're going to get more for free, which, you know, who doesn't love slots? Mm -hmm. I love slots. This is especially nice since they're introducing a new type of bridge officer, right? So you, if you have a whole crew of boffs that you've handpicked and worked on, it's a little tough to just get rid of them for intel boffs. So you're you're just talking about just having a bridge officer. You're not talking... This I is just on your roster, just for your roster. Currently, silver members are maxed out at 6 without buying more and gold at 10 in Delta Rising, they'll have eight and 14. So that should be much more manageable. Eight for a silver member is really nice because you're normally most of the ships, you have uh, four or five, and then you want four for your ground. So depending on what you're flying and if you have somebody that you can use for both, that's pretty nice. And 14 for gold is like plenty for me. Yeah, I know I've been kind of itching to get more space. Well, actually even now I want to move and test out a new cruiser after my Avenger. And so I, I, need, I need bridge officer slots in the roster uh, to accommodate so I can just easily switch. So if I need that DPS weapon of an escort, then I can just easily switch to it without having to retrain a, a bridge officer or whatnot. And now with the new bridge officers, I don't think that, I mean, I, I don't know that I can even afford the expertise or, or the, the skill points for the, uh, the bridge officer. So it's a welcome addition, the increased roster. I, I like not having to retrain a lot. Do you keep your novelty bridge officers the one you get from the fe featured episodes? Have you kept those? Some yes, some no. I, I do use my Jem'Hadar as a ground boff. He is my main tactical ground officer. And I do bring him most of the time if, if I can bring my whole team. He's not one of the like two if you can only bring two. I usually bring an engineer and a medic since I'm already tack. But uh, he's the main novelty bridge officer I would say I use on my... On my other characters, I use different ones, but I have them in my the list on the right, but I don't have them activated on my roster for the most part. Next up, all console abilities with a three minute or greater recharge timer are now down to two minutes. This is a big boost to some of these. I know I've sometimes given the opinion that a lot of these click consoles where you have to activate the power are kind of gimmicky, although I do use some of them myself. This change, it might sway me on a few of them. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a pretty good addition. Yeah, and a lot of the older STFs where they would only last a few minutes for the whole run, sometimes you couldn't even use it twice. But being able to use it every two minutes, plus the advanced and the elite cues seem to take quite a bit longer, uh, at least for now, you know, maybe until we learn them and gear up to Mark 14 and stuff like that. But I, I think it's going to make some of these things shine a little more. Is there any console that you can think of that you may have... Like you've thought about using, but it just wasn't worth it? Well, you know, I, I would think about maybe keeping my Phaser Lotus on my Chimera. Because, I mean, that'll let me fire it off 
like phaser lance, right? On a two minute cooldown, that's pretty awesome. I used to use the subspace jump a lot back in the day and I kind of got away from it, but I could see pulling that out again, being able to use it every two minutes. I know that some of the new consoles on the new ships were three minutes. <laughs> At least the one on the science ship was three minutes. So hopefully that'll that'll be two minutes too, right? That would make sense. I mean, any 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 click console. Because I thought it was so long. It was like three minutes. Most uh, solo missions, you probably won't even use it more than once unless they're totally separate combat areas. And some of the older queues, if you have something that has like a three to five minute cooldown, you might use it a second time if you use it like right at the beginning. But you usually don't need something like that right at the beginning. Yeah. Well, why don't we make that our first community question this week? So, Captains, what click-activated console are you going to give a second chance, now that the cooldown has been brought down to two minutes instead of three? Let us know your thoughts in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO193, or in the forum post for this episode on the official Star Trek online forums. Extra boff slots, free of charge, and reduced cooldown timers are both pretty great, but to me the big news in this update are improvements to the Nebula and the Dakir science vessels, turn rate and inertia boosts, the Vesta, base hull and shield modifier improvements for all three variants, and especially the Aquarius and Fleet Aquarius. Previously known as the Aquarius Destroyers, now the Aquarius Light Escorts. I have to say, to me, the Aquarius has always been the little engine that couldn't, but that I wished could. It was a cool, flavorful little ship alongside the new Federation Odyssey flagship, and it captured some of that RP imagination being able to play it as a standalone. Unfortunately, with stats like a bird of prey, but no battle cloak, not as many universal slots, no other special features like flanking, an RP ship was really all most people considered it. Now, with upgrades to its base hull, shield modifier, turn rate, impulse speed, and its inertia, the ability to equip the Starfleet cloaking device. All its seats now other than the Commander Tactical are universal, and it gets the Raider flanking bonus at 25% against NPCs and 8.33% against players. I would call it a worthy challenger for the Breen Plesh Breck for Federation players. That's pretty sweet. I might actually consider that ship. All of its seats are universal except for one? Yep. Whoa. That's the way the plesh breck is, and of course Klingon birds of prey are almost all universal. I think they're all universal. Wow! So that's it's pretty. Uh, that's pretty intense. Yeah, it's and now we can see why they didn't make all the universal slots to be Intel bridge officers. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's just make it all Intel all the time. Now, how is that ship available to captains in the game? As long as a fleet has a tier four shipyard, you can acquire the fleet. Aquarius Destroyer for four fleet ship modules and 20,000 fleet credits. You can also get the basic version for 200,000 fleet credits, though I really would recommend just going straight for the fleet version. Wow, that's a tough little ship. Little? <laughs> <laughs> Finally, uh, a neat little UI enhancement where a defeat recap will pop up when you're defeated, letting you know what got you and how. Ooh. So even if you're not on Tribble, these notes are worth trekking out this week. How about detaching the UI for my traits? How about that one? Is that in there yet? I don't see it yet. So when you die, it's going to tell you who killed you? It's going to tell you what killed you, 
what ability was used and I believe how much damage was done. Oh, that's so cool. Because sometimes I'm like at 90 something and then all of a sudden I'm dead. Mm-hmm. Depending on what I'm doing. And it's like, what in the world was that? I had full shields. You see quality of life things. These are things that you don't know you want until... It hits, and you're like, oh, wow, that's really awesome. I should have brought it up before on the show, because then I could say it was because of me. Because this is something I've wanted for a while and just didn't really give that much thought. You know, sometimes you get hit by that invisible heavy plasma torpedo or whatever in an STF, and you don't really know if that's what it was. It just feels like what Cookie said. It feels like you just went from max to none, but you don't know what did it, because the combat log is tracking so fast. Well, let's take a little break from uh, release notes and find out more about returning officers on Voyager. So for some reason, I'm always drawn to unemotional men on Star Trek. For example, Spock was my favorite of the original series. Data was definitely my favorite from The Next Generation. And The Doctor was also one of my favorites from Voyager. But the Doctor is a little different because he wasn't unemotional at all. In fact, he was very passionate and animated Sure, he had to work on his bedside manner, and he had a lot to learn regarding human interaction, but then again, his program was never intended to be active full-time. It was only supposed to be in case of emergency. But as time went on, and with the help of the crew, he had the opportunity to grow and develop his unique personality. He defied all expectations as to what a hologram should be and rewrote the definition. He fought for his identity throughout the series, and even after returning to Earth, the battle continued, Starfleet viewed his model as defective and ordered him to give up his mobile emitter. The doctor sued, and after much deliberation, he won. Since the doctor was free to do as he pleased, he led several research projects, but he missed the excitement that he experienced on Voyager. Fortunately, Operation Delta Rising is giving him the opportunity to experience that again, and he will be resuming his post as Voyager's chief medical officer. One of my favorite TNG episodes is the episode where Data has to fight for his for recognition as being a sentient being. Measure of a man. Measure Absolutely. of a man. Yep, the measure of a man. That's a really good episode. Well, it's said in the blog that they uh, used some of that when... The Doctor was fighting for his rights. I want you guys to watch Season 2, Episode 9 of The Next Generation so you understand my plight. Your oh, wait, plight? I mean, I'm talking about the Doctor. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I submit into evidence for the defense. Season 2, Episode 9 of the collected ship's logs of the USS Enterprise D. I'm just saying they used the legal precedence that was maintained in that hearing for the trial that the doctor was suing to get his mobile emitter because that's what it was about. They wanted his mobile emitter and they didn't recognize him as sentient being anyway. So Yeah, I think there were some more details about that in the Needs of the Many novel too that was uh, ex- expanded on the past to 2409. Very interesting stuff. So let's go back to some uh, holodeck release notes. Yes, please state the nature of your release note emergency. Holodeck continues to see improvements based on player feedback to the upgrade system as they work out bugs in the process uh, and add more items to be upgradable that previously were not. One tweak that I like is that tech upgrades and accelerators are now stored in the R&D bag, which I noticed that that was a bit of an oversight in the first place, so I'm glad they did that. On top of that, the lithium mining claims 
preferred customer mining claim boxes and VIP boxes will from now on be account bound instead of character bound. Hallelujah. So while existing claims won't be retroactively changed, all future ones will be account bound, which is, in my opinion, fantastic. I guess I could see why they wouldn't allow past ones to be tradable or, or at least uh, account bound. Why is it not retroactive? I would have loved for it to be retroactive also, but as Future Past Now suggested in the STO subreddit, they're likely coded as a completely different item in the system. So the only way they would be able to change them would be to create some kind of turn-in process, which I guess would be possible, but I don't know if it was just considered not a worthwhile use of resources or if there was something more complicating to it on the back end. I don't even know what what a mining claim is. I've never, never done it. Oh, no? Mm -mm. I've mined for dilithium in my um, fleet. Dilithium mine, but I don't know what a mining claim, I don't know what that is. I don't know how it works. The mining claims come from some of the lockboxes and... Oh, that they, would be why. Yeah, they allow <laughs> you to go to the uh, Vlogta Mines asteroid field near Deep Space Nine. Yes, I've been there. Right, and it gives you a different version of the Dilithium mining quest, uh, the Dilithium mining mission that gives a much bigger payout. And you, when you say mission, you're still mining the same way? Right. But there's a little specific area of the asteroid where you go to where you can mine for these. For the, I've the tried to go down. to that area, and I, and I was like, what is this? But I didn't have what, whatever it was, a mining claim. Right. So I couldn't do it. <laughs> I just thought it was for rich people or something. <laughs> well, you're kind of right, <laughs> in a manner of speaking. Like, well, I'll never be able to do this. Hey, you could always buy keys through energy credits. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Lockboxes are not for me. I'm sorry. They're not for me. I'm very bitter about my first lockbox <laughs> experience. Uh, I know. I know what you mean. I I personally enjoy it as long as I go into it with the mindset of whatever I get is what I get. I know uh, <laughs> Elijah famously had a hard time trying to get a certain trait out of one. I don't really open lockboxes much either myself. If there's something I want, I will usually just do the EC thing. Yeah, me too. Fair enough, fair enough. I don't mind it. I, I opened a lot of um, temporal lockboxes especially, and a few here and there are some of the other ones. The only thing I've ever really gotten out of a lockbox is lobby and duty officers and a couple weapons, but I had my own weapons that I like. I've never gotten a, a dilithium mining claim. Well, they're only in certain ones, so you wouldn't have them unless you... They weren't too uncommon in, in some of the boxes, but... My only big payout was actually from a DOF requisition pack, not from a lockbox. So that's how I got my Jem'Hadar attack ship. In a Starfleet operations report by lead producer Steven Ricosa, a brand new intelligence uniform has been added to the Delta Rising operations pack. This is available to all captains and bridge officers of any faction. The uniform pack includes an eye attachment, two jackets, a pair of gloves, a belt, trousers, and boots. I think the eye attachment is pretty cool. They look like sleek sunglasses. It kind of reminds me of Cyclops from X-Men. I'm not sure if the color is adjustable, but based on the pictures in the blog, the Federation character was wearing um, a shade of blue, and the Romulan had a vibrant green, and the Klingon had like a fiery red color. So the sunglasses also matched all the accessories. All in all, I think it looks pretty cool. I noticed it looked like the Fed had a long coat on. And I really like that. And long coats are not as common in the game, so I think that'll be a nice addition. 
if it is in fact a long coat, it's kind of hard to tell, but I, it sure looks like one. Um, they're also adding three Delta Vanguard tech upgrades, which will provide 110,000 technology points to any item you want to upgrade, and there's no dilithium cost to apply it. These additions will be added to the Delta Quadrant Operations Pack with no additional cost, even if you already bought one. Those tech upgrades are pretty serious. Yeah. That basically will let you upgrade three items directly to Mark 13 from 12 and part of the way into 14. Like, it wouldn't get you straight from 12 to 14, but it's more than you need from 12 to 13 for sure. Some items it might take from 13 to 14. Depends on the slot, how much it takes. Wow. Yep. That's a pretty good deal, even now. Yeah, they're, they're, they just keep sweetening the pot. Very, uh, very tempting. And Captain's last but certainly not least, Star Trek Online has released a new trailer, Delta Rising, official producer walkthrough trailer, voiced by lead artist Brad Stoken. So this was actually a really nicely put together video, and, and Brad did a fantastic job voicing it. My thing, my biggest takeaway was, what powerful new em enemy are they talking about? I mean, what, what's up with the Iconians? I mean, didn't we, what happened to that story? Also, the Kobali homeworld looks amazing. Uh, I can't wait to actually explore it further on Tribble. And, you know, I think probably the most awe-inspiring moment of that video is actually towards the end when he when when they're panning on uh, some ground combat and then they go back into space and Brad says, beautiful free-to-play game. Or, it's, you know, it's, it's all free-to-play. And it's beautiful. I mean, for it to be a free-to-play game, this is a beautiful MMO with so many features that most free-to-play games just don't have. And I think that was the advantage that, the, that Star Trek Online had, having been designed with a subscription platform in mind and then converting to free-to-play. And actually, you know what's funny is I just, you know, I found out that Rift is going free-to-play now. You know, these games, these MMOs are just, they're realizing the benefits, both financially and for the community, of, of going free-to-play. Well, Captains, that wraps up Star Trek Online news for this week. It's time to review one of the most infamous Foundry missions in Priority One history, Kinetic Impulsors, what's the mission called again? Overture. Overture series. Chivalry Green here with another Foundry review. Oh wait, it's just Jace and Cookie, plus Elijah for extra heckling goodness. This week we are going to be reviewing the epic saga known to the ages as Overture. Parts 1 through 6 by Kinetic Impulsor. These missions are dialogue heavy, but it's a well-written, intelligent story. You know, Star Trek is not all combat all the time, so I actually kind of felt like I was in an episode of Star Trek. It had mystery, twists and turns, cliffhangers, difficult situations that make you all stressed out, and scandalous discoveries. You're getting a taste of Tony when you do this mission. Oh yeah you are, and no amount of mouthwash will get that taste out. <sighs> See, how just, can I go just back to what I'm saying? Anyways. It really reflected his personality, and I actually felt closer to him after doing it. 
I actually wanted to defriend him. I know it was a one-way progression in our relationship, but I had a newfound respect for him afterwards. And he was in several of my dreams. I can only imagine how much time and energy it took for him to write and create all those episodes. Kestrel has commented a couple of times about what the word count of Star Trek Online as a whole, like all the story missions combined, has reached over the years. And I would actually be curious what the total word count of Overture is. It's got to be at least novella length, if not novel length. It puts a war and peace to shame. <laughs> <laughs> How long do you think it took you to do it? Well, you're a speed reader, Jace. For a speed reader, how long did it take you to complete it all? Uh, it still took about what he said, probably about an hour per episode and a bit longer for the final episode. Because I was really trying to savor it. If I read at a very accelerated rate, I don't necessarily absorb all of it. But yeah. I, I didn't want to miss anything that was going to be uh, a subtle reference to the original series, of which they were plenty, or a obscure Trek or even other franchise in-joke, of which there were many, or some of the interplay between his unique characters that each sort of have their own voice, although definitely springing full-grown from the forehead of Tony. Now, usually there were three options with three different personalities to choose from. Oh, in the dialogue options. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the dialogue options. Which one did you gravitate towards? They were all Tony. <laughs> I'm not asking you. You didn't do it. You don't get to... I did do it. He, he chose whichever one was at the top, so when you hit F, it automatically selected it. <laughs> so, um, that's a good point, is how, how... what the word count is on the entire Overture series, because Tony is a very long-winded individual, um, and you can tell that in his writing and his writing style in, during the Overture series. But I will say this. There was a lot of effing, and my finger was sore. <laughs> See, I started off with some of the snarky um, choices, but then after a while, I was like, that's disrespectful. I'm not going to choose that one. I'm going to choose this one. And then I ended up choosing all the nice answers because I started liking the people. See, it's funny. I actually had almost the opposite experience. <laughs> At the beginning, um, I was trying to role-play my character and, and get my immersion. So I was role-playing my character, who's a little stiff and proper because he doesn't have a backstory with these characters, where clearly some of them were his characters or characters that had been developed by his fleet mates. And there was, there was more to it than we were getting. Like, these were characters that existed and we were now part of their story. It was pretty cool like that. It made me want to read more about some of the specific characters, which I think is possible with some of the uh, fan fiction on the, their fleet's website and all that. So I started off with almost like the Vulcan or like data type responses. Mm -hmm. And then as I felt like I knew the characters a little more, I was using the more, sometimes a little teasing, a little more familiar. Either, either friendly or sort of poking at the NPC ref references. And by the end, I found that my character was so frustrated by all the crazy stuff that was constantly going on <laughs> that I had switched to the snarky responses like half the time. It was kind of funny. So you and well, I went the other way with it. Yeah, and I actually got the opportunity to do the first mission with Tony, and he read you know, his parts, and I read 
my part. So that was pretty fun too to have that experience to actually do it with the author. And he read each character the same way, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> I would also say definitely check out his YouTube video previews for each part of Overture. They were very cool, very well done. And he also has some funny, we'll call them reviews, of some of his early feedback, good and bad, on the series, which is very entertaining once you've watched them. Elijah, I understand that before my time, his YouTube videos actually had a hand in getting Tony involved in Priority One. That's right, actually. Um, we were in desperate need of a video editor uh, to help us, you know, provide content for our listeners and our audience. And, and Tony had submitted Overture for review and also sent us links to the YouTube video. And he had a great grasp of uh, demo record. And, and so we, we snatched him right up and said, hey, would you like to be part of the team somehow? And look at him now. Look how all grown up he is. He's the producer of his own show, Guard Frequency. It's a pretty decent show. You can go ahead and check it out if you want. But you know, um, <laughs> as long as it doesn't cut into your priority one listening time. Yeah, as long as exactly. I tease him a lot about about his Overture series only because he likes to force it down everybody's throat. At least here in the team. Um, but it's a great mission, Captain. It's very well written. The story's fantastic. There's a lot of option for you to play. Um, and although it may not be a shoot 'em up mission, if you're more of a fan of story and character development, then you want to check out the Overture series by Kinetic Impulsor, uh, aka our beloved Tony from Guard Frequency. Excuse me, Elijah. <laughs> yes, Skippy. Um, why is it if Overture had such a great impact on Tony joining the <laughs> team? Why is it in only until now that you've waited to do a review on his series? You know what's cute is that you're not recording independently, so this won't make it in. So I don't even uh, have to answer We're recording that. on TeamSpeak. Uh, maybe it won't get up online. Maybe it will. As Cookie always says, the TeamSpeak recording never gets used. Speaking of Foundry and its authors, we want to remind you that we are looking for a writer to help us with uh, role-playing skits that we want to do here on Priority One Podcast. So if you are interested in getting your work seen and heard uh, on the show, then by all means reach out to us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or visit PriorityOnePodcast.com and click on the red shirt Uncle Sam. And now it's time to open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Editing services for this segment brought to you by Guard Frequency. It's a pretty good show. You should check it out. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. All right, Captains, we're at the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies and see what you had to say about last week's episode. Cookie, why don't you take it away? Orangitis commented on the Star Trek online forum post for this episode. Al Rivera wants some Captain career suggestions. I'll repeat a suggestion I made a couple times already. Split the existing Captain careers up. Tactical becomes tactical and security. Engineering becomes engineering and operations. And science would become science and medical. Bridge officers would be split up as well, and once it goes live, you'd be able to choose for each of your existing bridge officers to remain with their current career or change to the new split career. That's interesting. Hmm. Nice idea. Sounds overtly complicated for my taste. Well, I like it, except I would tactical would be problematic because I don't know. There's not many security-themed space abilities. Stand and watch. <laughs> yeah, that would be like repelling boarding teams or sending out boarding teams. It's tricky. I think it's a cool idea. 
I'm not sure how they would implement it for some of them. Like, what would operations do on the ground? Ward Collis writes on PriorityOnePodcast.com, I do have an idea for new classes. One faction-specific canon class per faction. Federation, Mako Marine. Romulan, Intel Operative. Klingon, Dahar Master. I would also like the option to play a neutral independent captain. Not bound to any faction. Not realistic, I know, but if in real life I existed in the 25th century Star Trek era, I would most likely be a mercenary outside of any particular faction. I remember with The Matrix Online, my fleet and I, my guild, we tried very desperately to be a factionless organization. And because The Matrix Online was, the lore was steeped in secrecy and subterfuge and, you know, one faction not knowing what the other one was doing, you know, our gimmick, our line was, you know, we, we know everything because our fleet is involved as people in every faction. Not so much in Star Trek Online. I mean, generally, there, there isn't that feeling of, what are the, what are the Klingons doing? Oh, we, we, no, you can't tell them. You can't tell, you can't, you, the Federation people, if you're in a Federation fleet, you can't tell them what the Klingons are doing. You know what? That might be a nice little bit of, you know, espionage gameplay to do for Star Trek Online. As long as you can play with everybody. If you can't queue PVEs together, then that would not be good. Factionless is an idea. QPAN posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Salutations, P1. Been enjoying the shows, though I do miss the live interactions. All the entertainment value is still here. I feel that with the new Elite content, there is some discrepancy on what's expected to complete them. I've heard you use Tier 5U for them. Other times I hear you need a Tier 6 ship. I mean, for the Elites, as far as I understand... You want the best of the best of the best, sir, with honors. With the Tier 6 ships that have been thus far revealed, if they can do it, there's plenty of Tier 5U ships that can do it. It's Tier 5U or Tier 6. Tier 6 may have a slight edge with access to the Intel powers and the extra DOF slot, but I haven't seen a Scimitar killer or a Jem'Hadar Dreadnought killer as far as, like, raw damage output. Now, initial... Well... I won't say too much about Tribble because it's not finalized anyway, and, and they're, they posted some stuff today about still balancing those. But I think that many of the higher Tier 5U ships will still be very competitive, if not still better in their focus areas than Tier 6. You'll be fine with Tier 5U in Elites. And I think it depends because, like, for you, Jace, you get, like, 100,000 million DPS. But for me... No, not so much. Not not as much as that. So it's like, if it were me, maybe I wouldn't be able to do it. But like, you probably could. Because you get, you're a very DPS heavy ship. Well, yeah, but keep in mind, you're flying a very powerful ship that's only going to get better with tier 5U. So if you're breaking, you, you're personally breaking 10k DPS in your Jem'Hadar escort carrier. And that is getting very nice upgrades in tier 5U. And it has fighters, which none of the yet announced tier six ships have which is it has a big impact on gameplay and gives you some extra versatility you can load up just dps fighters like scorpions or if the mission calls for it you can load something like runabouts with tractor beams don't sell yourself short rob dmc writes via priority one podcast.com the only disparity now has to do with the ec inflation Cryptic is nerfing new sources of EC income, but has yet to deal with the EC already on the market. The area where EC is a problem is specialty DOFs and traits. With the variety of older lockboxes, certain items are going up in price. 
Now that lockbox ships are only going to be tier 5 upgrades and not fleet tier 6 level, they will be less desirable and even fewer will be opened. The only way to normalize the exchange and not ruin those who play the lockbox market is to retire lockboxes over a year old and place those rewards into the lobby store. A proper supply of these items would become available while not ruining the value of older lockbox items. It also gives a chance for new lockboxes to have their money made. Players can regulate the economy and the lobby cost will drive key sales. I'm not an economist, but I do most of my purchases in the through the exchange, so whatever's going to keep EC costs down, I'm good. I think this is a neat idea. I don't know how it would impact the economy without knowing what the next lockbox looks like, because that could be a bit of a game changer depending on what the lockbox ships are. But uh, it's a it's a cool idea. GL twenty eight fourteen E writes on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode. Great show as always. Thank you. Perhaps while y'all are visiting Cryptic, you could ask if there are plans to fix people's gear that ended up with worse stats, lost modifiers, or inappropriate modifiers. I like the upgrade system overall, but my ultra-rare, crit-axing, dual-heavy aux phaser cannons are annoying for what they cost. Um, If it's not addressed by then, we'll definitely ask that, but I think they're working on fixes for all those things, like lost modifiers and all that. Worst case scenario, there might have to be a trade-in program to get the correct gear. Um, and keep in mind, if you're upgrading your existing gear, make sure, if at all possible, you are using the superior tech upgrades because they cost much less dilithium. Azurian Star writes via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com, Upgrading a few items has literally left me in the poorhouse, even working very conservatively. And after playing Star Trek Online literally 16 hours per day for several months, all the earned dilithium from grinding every day and earning dilithium in the events on multiple characters is all gone. It would have been cheaper to buy Mark 13 or Mark 14 gear outright from the fleet and reputation stores. Is this on Tribble? Uh, well, you can upgrade to Mark 13 live on Holodeck right now, so I'm assuming on Holodeck. I did a few upgrades with the event that happened this last weekend, so I'm waiting to, to just kind of see how the dilithium is because... I don't want to be burning through my dilithium. Well, it's definitely going to cost some dilithium, but the math on it is if you're using superior upgrades, it should only take about 17k dilithium per item to go from 12 through 13 to 14. Now, that's not including getting the rarity upgrades. Those could be potentially much more expensive and time-consuming, but that's a longer-term goal intentionally. It should take about 300,000 dilithium to take an entire suite of all the gear on your ship from Mark 12 to 14 once Delta Rising's out, assuming you're using superior tech upgrades. Look, the system is designed to intentionally encourage people to interact with each other and get superior tech upgrades either through the crafting system or through a crafter friend or through buying them from the exchange. Yes, they do take very rare crafting materials, but there's multiple ways to get them instead of just blowing all your dilithium. Definitely using superior tech upgrades, it should not be costing more than new gear would because it costs 28500 right now to buy a Mark 12 very rare reputation weapon. So 300,000 dilithium 
for all your weapons and then your... That's, that's your weapon, your deflector, your shields, all your consoles. And I mean, that's approximate, great, because uh, cruisers have eight weapons, science ships have six. I think it's based on the average of seven, so it'd be like slightly more for a cruiser or whatever. I don't have 300,000 lithium. No, but again, even that is, that would be, I want to upgrade all my gear from Mark 12 to 14 on day one. 300,000 dilithium equates to just under 40 days worth of refining. So if you're hitting your refining cap on one character, no alts, every day for 38 days, you'll have enough dilithium to upgrade all your ship gear on one ship to Mark 14. Now, that's less time than it takes to max out a rep doing just the daily. So I, I think they're about on par with that. Well, when you put it that way... I'm not saying I wouldn't be fine if they further tune this system. However, in proportion to other systems that are, in the, that are in the game, I definitely don't think that it would be cheaper to outright buy Mark 14 gear if they priced out Mark 14 gear in rep and fleet stores. And it should only be a little over a month's refining, not all the dilithium that you've had for months and months unless you're using like the basic model tech upgrades, which are less dilithium efficient explicitly. Just some suggestions for folks to maximize their upgrade process, because it's a, it's a little bit confusing at first, and there's a lot of ways that you could overspend without needing to. All right, captains, each week our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show, so please keep them coming. Reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast, or you can follow us on Twitter at STO priority one. You can also shoot us an email to incoming at priority one podcast.com. All right, captains, that wraps up episode 193 of priority one podcast. Be sure to catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds.priority1podcast.com or by visiting priority1podcast.com. But don't forget that episode 194 will be published on Monday, October 20th. There will likely not be an episode on Monday, October 13th because of our trip to Cryptic Studios. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses for our community question in the comment section on our site or on the STO forum post for this episode. Remember, this week's question is, what click-activated consoles are you going to give a second chance now that the cooldown has been brought down to two minutes instead of three or even more? Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STO Priority One. You can even join the Priority One podcast chat in game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space Priority One. Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One podcast, because without it, we would not be able to bring you the content you've grown to enjoy every week from this team. Check out our new Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. It's a pretty good show. You should check it out. From the makers of Overture. <laughs> the Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle, and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. And... Now you can join our Klingon fleet division, Warriors of Priority One. 
joined today, Kapla. A very special thanks to Alec Peters, creator of Star Trek Axanar. To the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineers, Skiffy and Ben Churchill, and QA support staffer, Midnight Shadow 7. Thanks to our graphic artist, Rami Linnale, and to our bloggers and their managing editor, L. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Epic Gamer Radio, Subspace Radio, and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. We just talked about this. I forget. This. I know we did. I know we did. I know we did. What? Nothing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Stimulate those players. Womp. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ugh, how's that for delivery? That was good. That was good. I'll give you that. <laughs> I, I think it was worth it. Bravo. Bellissimo. 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 Did you guys notice the kitchen? It's just like the kitchen in Voyager. It's oh, not called yeah. the kitchen, though, is it? It's called something else. The mess hall. Did you guys notice the mess hall? <laughs> it's just like the mess hall in Voyager. Exactly oh, yeah. the same. <laughs> well, we redid it, so I have to redo it. <laughs> oh, so it did look really cool. You said everything, that Elijah. To, that absolutely has to go into the, the, the Because... <laughs> <laughs> Al Rivera wants some Captain Career suggestions. I'll repeat a suggestion I made a couple times already. Uh, <laughs> split the existing Captain Career. No, no, you can't read that. You can't read it like that. What's, what? What? <laughs> yeah, that's good to know. It's a different perspective. That, but it's all math, so it all adds up. Let's cut that out. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I just didn't realize that it, it was cheaper. Oh, that was hilarious. <laughs> it's all math, so it all adds up. <laughs> two peas in a pod. We should call this episode, It All Adds Up. That was not sincere. Yes, it was. <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> <laughs> dun, 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 